Hello again, friends. Welcome or welcome back to The Overview Effect with James Perrin, the podcast where I explore bigger perspectives on our world and have big picture conversations on environmentalism and humanity. I'm your host, James Perrin. I'm super excited to bring you a special live episode today. And of course, I want to start by acknowledging that today's episode was recorded on Bundjalung country in the northern rivers of New South Wales. I want to pay respects to members of the Bundjalung community and First Nations people all around Australia. And particularly because it's NAIDOC week, right? So it's a time to celebrate and amplify Indigenous voices. And I have a great one for you on today's show. This conversation, today's episode, was recorded live at RenewFest back in May. And if you've been following me or the, the show for a few months, you will know that I held the headline conversations at RenewFest. And it was such an amazing festival with just the most incredible people, incredible thinkers and talks and workshops, performances and ceremonies. Oh, the ceremonies. I just highly recommend, if you can, to get to Renew Fest next year, follow them, keep an eye out for any future events that they might be doing because they really are special. Now, my conversation today. Uh, My conversation today was with one of the headline speakers. So over the next few weeks, I will be sharing more of these live headline conversations from the festival, and I'll intersperse them between my more regular episodes. So my guest today is a Minyungbul and Yugambeh woman from Bunjalung Nation. She is a firefighter. She is a cultural fire and land management expert. She has studied natural and cultural resource management, and she has worked for a range of organizations, including the Forestry Corporation of New South Wales, the Forest Stewardship Council of Australia and New Zealand, and Fire Sticks Alliance Indigenous Corporation. She really is an expert when it comes to cultural fire and land management practices. And we talk about a lot of things in this yarn. We start with the impacts of the 2019-2020 bushfires, and not just the devastating environmental destruction and environmental impacts, but also the deep cultural loss that Aboriginal people felt and continue to feel from those events. We talk about our disconnection from country and how that creates this mismanagement of country and how really externalising the blame of those catastrophic bushfires to something like climate change is completely oversimplifying things and it's really reflective of our disconnection to nature and country as a whole you know by saying well they're the climate fires and they're caused by climate change kind of takes us off the hook for our poor land management practices right we talk about the need to have people on country and looking after it and how some of the problems with sections of the environmental movement that are advocating for rewilding and leaving things alone and letting things rewild are causing way more harm than good. You know, we need people on country, managing country. And she shares her perspective on that. And really, best of all, she just beautifully articulates her perspective of what connection to country is and how that looks and sounds and feels and smells. And importantly, what we can do to rebuild that connection in our personal lives. Happy NAIDOC week, everyone. Please enjoy this conversation with Rachel Kavanagh. 
That would help, wouldn't it? There you are. Yeah, we're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody. What a wonderful day. What a beautiful afternoon. How special to gather here and have these these meaningful conversations in a world of social media scrolling and 24-hour news cycles and clickbait to be able to gather and have long-form intimate conversations is very special. So this is, this is so good. Um, I'm very happy to be back again. So just again, for anyone who um, is unfamiliar with me and my background, my name's James. I'm a, a chemical and environmental engineer and sustainability manager and I've been running a podcast for about nine or so months called The Overview Effects which is based on this concept, this premise, this experience that astronauts have when they go up into space and they look back on Earth and they have this profound sense of emotion and connection and wonder looking at our world and how special it is. So my conversations are all about kind of big picture conversations around environmentalism and humanity and I'm very happy and grateful to be able to sit here with Rachel and have another one today. So Rachel, uh, by way of introduction, is... A Minyangbul woman of Bunjilung and Ugumba descent. She's worked as an Aboriginal Partnerships Liaison for, forest, for Forestry New South Wales. Uh, she's on the Indigenous Working Group of the Forestry Stewardship Council and manages the community programs and stakeholder engagement for Firesticks Indigenous Alliance. And she is just a, an expert in this field and I'm really excited to learn from her. Please join me in welcoming Rachel Kavanagh. Um, and I'd like to start by actually saying how um, ironic or maybe perhaps even inappropriate it is that I've welcomed you here. Um, I would like to start by acknowledging that, you know, this is Bunjilung country and I'd like to pay respects to members, elders, members of the um, Bunjilung community and all First Nations people all around Australia. Rachel, um, can we start with maybe, can I start by asking you a bit of a personal story? Um, thinking about that, that overview effect, um, have you had a moment or a similar experience or a period of time perhaps where you've had some sort of similar shift or paradigm shift or in the way that you view the world and see and interact with our world? Yeah, look, I've, I've probably had a few of those, but, you know, coming from a cultural perspective, that's something that we do anyway and that's how we view everything that we do in this world and how we live our life and one of our practices um but yeah I've had I've had a few um one in particular that's still quite um raw is I've been a full-time firefighter for a, um, close to 20 years um working in different agencies and for different firefighter services but I think the, the 2019, the 2020 bushfires was a real eye-opener for me, but not just because of the catastrophic damage that it's done, you know, to our environment, but from that real cultural perspective and, and our spiritual connection to our country mm. and watching and seeing the destruction of our cultural values, whether it's, um, you know, tangible or intangible, being completely decimated was a big eye-opener for me and I really, I just had to get out of that space. Mm. Um, coming from that Western perspective, I've had the pleasure and I've been really lucky because I've learnt how to walk in my world 
as a First Nations person and I've learnt our ways of how we manage and look after country. So I've always come from that really strong belief that, you know, of being in that side or in that, you know, whether it's for agency or whatever, but having... Because I'm in there, I can make change and I can make difference. And I had done to a certain point, but, but that was a real turning point for me because those little steps that I was making and those conversations and those really hard arguments that I had with some of these people that I worked with was not enough. So I, had to, wow. I actually had to leave to be able to make this real change. Yeah, yeah. wow. And it's... Um it's it's crazy to reflect on the 2019 2020 bushfires and you know it was, it was what 18 less than 18 months ago it feels like so much has happened since then um but i think it's important for us to continue to reflect because that was such a, a huge moment um for our environment culturally and and it was such a significant moment and perhaps as someone who has that background as someone who has this deep cultural connection to this country I think it's important for us to reflect and feel the grief of that. So can you please tell us about your experience going through that summer and the types of emotions and, 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 and how that was for you going through that? Yeah, look, I think we came into winter in 2019 knowing that it was going to be a really hard season. We knew that already. Everything, all the signs were showing. We were in drought you know, no rain, then we had those really dry, you know, winter nights. We knew it was going to be hard. Mm. We knew it was going to be big. Um, But by the end of July, I didn't think I was going to be fighting crown fires, you know, that early on, you know. Like, we we did know that it was going to be difficult, but not that difficult. Mm. And that went on until January, February. So for 14 hours a day... Seven days a week, you know, one day or two days off, doing that rotation was really hard. It was really hard because it was something... We couldn't fight the fire, you know. You can't put something that's so large and fierce and moving, you know, just so erratically. You can't put that stuff out. The only thing that you can do is protect and look after the people and do your best in that in that you know aspect but um one of the hardest things was you're as a first nations person as, as and as someone who understands cultural fire practices and and our cultural values and hold them very strong in who i am seeing all of this happen I, you know you just get this overpowering feeling of i've been fighting for this my parents have been fighting for it. My grandparents have been fighting to say, we need to stop and listen. We know this country. We know how it moves and we know how to look after it. And we can live in a world where we can use and empower First Nations people to be able to manage their country, but in a contemporary space as well, in the sense... And I say contemporary in the sense of we do live in a world that is how it is it is not traditional but we can care for country in a certain way that these other practices no matter what those agencies are or whether you're farming or whether you're doing any that we can use it together so if we had the right fire methodology in the beginning and real investment in that those wildfires would have come 
but they wouldn't have been so catastrophic. Mm. And everyone after these fires are like, well, what can we do and how are we doing this? And we have, you know, the, the bushfire, the state bushfire inquiry and then we have the Royal Commission into it and everyone wants to have that Indigenous voice and perspective on all of it. But what are they doing? Where is their, their real genuine action to that? And it really feels like it's a tick the box. Yeah, we've had that conversation with that mob, but there's no real outcome from that. The outcomes and the positive things that do come from those conversations is it's the farmers and it's the, the people that have gone through it and it's that real grass level that are like, we need to start listening to mobs because they've been saying it, we're seeing it and let's do it. But it's, it really comes from that community response and that, you know the rawness of that mm. and so in contrast to that how does it make you feel then because out of the well during and out of that horrific bushfire season we had so many we heard so many people go well the climate change you know and there were the climate fires and that was the problem and it's the fossil fuel companies or it's the government and it was outsourced whereas what i'm hearing from you is it's it's all along it's been our disconnection and our mismanagement of country at a grassroots level. So how, uh, w- what's that like for you to see people go, well, it's all just climate change and externalise it to some big external force, whereas that's actually a symptom of the same mentality of not looking after country ourselves. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I think we need to look at, you know, when you're talking about all of those things and the way that we manage country now is everything is segregated everything is separate so you've got you know department of water over here and you have national parks over there and you've got like all of these different agencies but they're only looking after a specific thing instead of looking at country and the environment as one and being a part of that because people are a part of the environment that's you know it's it's pretty easy to sort of understand (laughs) it you know like yeah. through those colonial impacts and taking mob out of country has also grown you know like the, there's also those issues that come in with that you know like and you know this the terminology and language and the narrative around that really needs to change as well like people still refer to some parts of the of the bush as a wilderness place it's like we were there you know, that we've got to put people back into that environment and ground yourselves in that space because we belong there as part of that mm. and not separate from that. And that terminology is so important. You know, I, I, something I've learned um, is our, our terms like firefighting, you know, or having creating fire breaks or even, you know, us putting up, boundaries around our property and mowing the lawn and it's coming from this mentality of being one disconnecting ourselves to nature and then trying to control it when it tries to come back into our world you know how how does how does that sit with you (laughs) even being a firefighter how do you fight nature you can't (laughs) (laughs) that's like we're, we're seeing that we can't fight it and it comes back to really it comes back to your relationship with fire your relationship with the environment. You know, like our mob have had a good relationship with fire forever. We've worked with it, you know, and those good fire practices and those good, you know, that just feeds into, you know, traditional land management. Like fire is just one component of that broader picture. So it's it's really changing your perspective around your relationship 
with the fire and how that works. Agencies and firefighter agencies, you know, just in the terminology there with firefighter, they're all, they come from a place of fear and they come from a place of being reactionary to what is happening in the environment. And it's, we've got to do this because we have to protect this asset or we've got to do this to protect this. But if they were caring for the environment, they would have been putting in better land management practices whether that's fire, whether that's looking after the waterways, whether that's managing the amount of cattle or sheep or whatever you have on your property, that's not wiping out trees. That's not, you know, like if they looked at the environment in a relational aspect, Mm. their viewpoint on fire would be different. Rather than making it the enemy. We're externalising it by doing that, aren't we? We're going, that's the enemy and we need to fight it. And just like the war on, insert word here, the war on fire. And that's that's a war on nature. Yeah, because <laughs> it's holistic. It's not one. Everything is interlinked. And, and what, I'm, what I've, I've learned through listening and learning just a fraction of, you know, the, the wisdom and knowledge that you must know is that um, this land management, it's not about... Um, it's not about going in and trying to artificially, um, artificially stimulate or create a condition or artificially make something happen. It's about creating the conditions for which natural cycles to occur. I guess an example is like you could go in and plant a tree, a native tree, and hope that it does well. Or through the appropriate land management and cool burns, you could create the conditions in which that seedling will actually grow on its own. Yeah, that's right. But we're still not creating those conditions because if you're reading country and you understand your country, country is telling us when it's right to put that fire in. Mm, yeah, it's, well. You know, like, so we're listening and we're learning from country to tell us when it's time. Mm. Whether that's the wind, whether that's you know like different um you know flowers or birds or bees even they're telling us when it's ready to go so you know you were talking about climate change and it's the climate change fires climate change has been happening for a really long time um you know like first nations people are really adaptable people and have been changing with the environment since millennia this is not a new thing yes it's a sped up process because of everything that else is happening in the world but we still change and we adapt with our seasons and we move through those processes Mm. Um, and it's still country that's telling us when to fish when to burn when to do all of those things Mm. not a not a report or a calendar from a government government agency with a date yeah or we've got to, you know, burn 11,000 hectares in, you know, three months and we can only do it in these two weeks and we've just got to... To protect this asset, this artificial asset that we've created. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a metaphor for me in, um, in that kind of creating the conditions um, in kind of saying you could, I guess you could apply that thinking to a lot of the issues, the social and environmental issues we face. You know, just take example, homelessness and housing in this region and in fact all around Australia is a big issue at the moment. You could say, well, we've got this many homeless people so we need to build this much housing and house them all in it as opposed to going, well, hang on, that's a Band-Aid fix. What are the conditions that are actually 
causing homelessness in the first place and what conditions do what role do we need to play to change those conditions so that that doesn't become an issue and that seems like a very indigenous way of thinking and approaching a lot of our social and environmental issues that seems like something that perhaps we have or could learn from for example this horrific bushfire season that we're talking about yeah and to stop being reactionary you know like everything is a response to what is happening now rather than going back and taking time and l- properly listening and properly engaging in, in whatever, you know, that topic may be to come up with solutions mm. rather than just that Band-Aid because it's happening right now. Mm. Did you see that with, um, I mean, we, we came out of this enormous bushfire issue and then bang, straight into COVID. Did you see, <laughs> did you see the, that all, all that focus and attention just flip, what, almost overnight? Yeah, absolutely. And you saw the real political drive within it as well. Mm. Um, And the problem being is we've had these really horrific bushfires and now we've had COVID. So what's happening with that bush that's just been completely annihilated? Mm. Nothing's happening in there. There's nobody is out there looking after it on large scale. There's, you know, there's communities, you know, those localised, and that's what I was saying, it's that local you know drive that's changing things but those fires were so catastrophic at such large scales so there's still you know country out there that looks like a bomb's hit it you know there's no grass happening all the large trees are just completely wiped out you know like ecosystems and landscapes have changed and we've lost animals but then Mm. on the news the other day i saw national parks drop 200 incineraries from a you know, plain and looks like we've lost all our numbats. Wow. When we're still having conversations about how can we do this? Mm. And um, th- I guess there's also an element of um, there's this part of potentially the environmentalist movement or whatever it is that says, well, we just need to let things rewild. If we just let it be, it'll look after itself. And I saw you, <laughs> you rolled your eyes with that. Can you... Can you explain your perspective on that? <laughs> yeah, look, it's a pretty, it's a bit of a tricky one, that question. You know, like we, we often come up, you know, against environmentalists and environmental groups because they do have that perspective of you just have to leave it alone and you can't touch it or it's all green so it's all beautiful and we need to look after it. But they're not... They're not understanding the country for that area either. So by not having people in the... You know, it comes back to that, you know, that 101 of people are meant to be in the environment. You take them out, who's managing that space and what does that look like? After all those bushfires and you leave them, you get a monopoly of species that come through which love fire... And they're killing out all the natives that are supposed to grow. And then you just get this, you know, this one layer of two or three species. Like around here, it's the wattle and the she-oak and all of that sort of stuff that just completely wipes out all the native species and the native grasses and your herbs and all the, you know, the native foods that are trying to get through because you just have that one species. And then if you try and put fire in it, those species of trees love fire. So what's going to happen with that? It's going to be really hot and intense, even if you try and put 
you know, a cool fire in, it will burn because of all the oils and all the tree types. Mm. So you can't leave it. It's, yeah. And, and in some way, you could say that that mindset, so just like the kind of mindset of, I guess, thinking we're separate from nature, so we need to control it by mowing and putting in fire breaks and hazard reduction burns and fighting it is coming from a place of us being separate to nature. You could almost say that mindset is also coming from the same place by saying, well, we just need to leave it alone. It's wilderness and it's different to us. Whereas what I'm hearing from you is that, no, it's, it's, we've got to step back and see that we are part of this and we, are, we, we play a role in both the bad and the negative and we've certainly seen that and that's got a lot of hype and, and that's a huge thing in the environmental movement. But we also play a very important role in the positive aspects of looking after nature and environment. I think that's something that perhaps we're missing a bit in the environmental movement. Yeah, yeah that's exactly <laughs> right. You place people back out there and it changes everything. And, you know, like even when you're taking your kids to the park and, you know, it, more, it may be introduced species, but you're seeing, oh, well, that tree flowers and that bark's falling off that. And that's... So they're all indicators of what's happening in your actual environment that you're in you know we're not separate from any of that sort of stuff so looking at those positives and how we move through is having conversations like this and working and linking in with your local mobs and finding out what's going on and having those questions and if you're in you know positions or agencies or any of that have those questions with your bosses or, or your colleagues or any of that sort of like start the conversation and get it rolling you know like it's it is as simple as that (laughs) (laughs) i want to talk about i want to hear um from you your perspectives on the importance of fire and the cultural importance of fire because we we all know whenever a fire starts up and i'm sure there'll probably be fires here this evening we're drawn to it we gather around it and we always, you know, how good is it to have a fireplace and sit and stare at the fire instead of your TV? And we love it. And so there's that innate element. But I'm sure that I would love to hear your perspectives on the cultural importance of fire and what it means to you. Yeah, just touching on what you said before about how we're all drawn to fire. It doesn't matter where you come from or where your roots are or where your traditional, you know, grounding is we all had fire you know like that was one of the first things that we've had so it's that's the attraction to it and that's what draws you in and it's warming and it's humbling and it you know the smells and all of that sort of stuff really grounds you and that is in all of us no matter where we come from or where we go for me culturally fire is used for a number of different reasons and you know um for my people it comes it's the matriarch hold the knowledge and the power around fire men yes used it as well but we held the the knowledge in that space um so and we have different stories for fire we have different times that we pretty much should be like out there burning now but um we burn all year round we don't just burn in the cooler months like it's like I said, different landscapes will tell you when the right time to burn is and different areas have different laws around, like L-O-R-E law around using fire. 
Um, you know, so depending on where you are, you have that. And we have storm burn country where we burn in the middle of summer. To try and tell that to anybody, they're like, they'll be waiting there to lock you up. So you've got to, it's really about that, that linking in and, and that we have so many ways that we want to look at how we can manage and how we can live with fire. And we come from that cultural perspective in our cultural values, whether that's, cult, that's tangible or intangible around that fire management. When we're birthed into this country, we're birthed and fire is there and smoke is there and that is us, you know. Like, so we have that from the day that we are birthed and then that moves with us as we grow and whether we do it, you know, to bring back native foods or whether we're doing it to clean our camps out or, you know, to clear the grassy pathway so we can move from A to B or to tell our neighbouring mobs we're coming through. There's so many different aspects to cultural fire management or methodology, if you want to call it that. So it's not just to do hazard reduction burning or, you know, to clear the, f you know, the fuel, but all of those little things that we're doing keeps country healthy and it and it opens up all of that so it does keep your fuel loads down because you're burning for this type of grass and i was i was fascinated to hear i think i think it was actually you and and a few others rachel on a podcast a while ago um talking about when you do a cool burn and how the trees respond to that and how some of the animals respond to that and how important the smoke and the 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 heat, the gentle heat and the role that that plays in the natural cycle. Can you tell us a bit about that as well? Yeah, the cultural fire is a cool fire, like you said, and it and it's the spot ignition, or some people might like to say mosaic burning, because at the end of it, or you, if you watch it, it moves in that sort of a pattern. And so it flows the way we don't want everything to be blacked out. We need to have little spots where animals can still move and come in. We have some animals that will take off and then come back after the fire so they can feed. Um, you know, the, the trees and the wind and this, the song that that makes in itself, I can't explain that, but that all comes out. And, you know, it's, a, it's more that spiritual and country reactionary responses to having that right fire put in um, and the soil you know like if you put that cool fire in you can walk in there in your bare feet after it you're supposed to just be able to dust off the top of the ash and it's still cool and there's still moisture in there and it hasn't burnt out you know your seed banks and it hasn't done any damage to that topsoil so everything's still there and still alive it's um it's such a, a wonderful metaphor <laughs> as we've as we've said of our our disconnection to or reaction to natural events um and i think you've done a wonderful job at telling us a bit of a deeper perspective and your kind of history and wisdom and connection to fire and country and i guess if if there's anything you can leave us with you know what what can we do? What, what, what advice would you have for people who say, um, well, I, I don't even know where to start or how do I engage or um, what, what advice would you have? I think the best advice, I sort of touched on it a bit before, is 
is try and link in locally. I think around the northern rivers and the far north coast, well, it's sort of happening everywhere, but we've got so many Aboriginal ranger groups doing amazing things out on country um, and traditional owners doing lots of different things. In this day and age, we can't be like, oh, I don't know what's going on because we all got Google. Yeah, so we can type in who are the traditional owners of Byron Bay, who are the traditional owners of Fingal. You can type that in and it comes up with plenty of different links. So, like, you can link in for whatever topic that you're looking for and it's all there. Mm. Um, You know, on a national level, you can jump on, you know, all the social medias and check out Fire Sticks and all the different work we're doing in communities across, across Australia you know, and, and really get onto that, you know, national platform. But I really think, loc- you know, just that local level mm. and linking in and asking questions, you know, we're not scary people, us blackfellas, you know, like I think, I think people get a bit worried that, oh, we can't ask that. We're one of the most straightforward people that you will ever meet and we don't take offence to a lot of things and we're willing to share. If you're willing to actually sit and listen... And I mean really deeply listen. That knowledge is there for all of us to share and grow with because we need you, Mob, too. We can't do this on our own. Mm. Wonderful. And and something that I'm going to start doing more of, I've tried to, but you've just reignited it, is just like listen to everything going on around us. Look at the what's happening with the trees. What bird first chirps in the morning? What's happening with the oceans and the tides starting to... And, and I guess that just comes with experience and intention, starting to what, read that landscape and doing your best, would you say? Yeah, and I, I don't think it's experience. I think it's, you know, I think what we've gone through, through the bushfires and COVID and for some mobs, these, these floods, you know, from where I'm from, we've just had a shift from grandfather dreaming time to grandmother dreaming time. A huge shift in everything that happened, and that happened a couple of years ago. So now it's time for that real nurture, that grandmother love and that grandmother nurture and that real women space. And it doesn't matter whether you look here locally. I heard some deadly women over there talking. Whether you look across the seas, there's... First Nations women and matriarchs standing up everywhere. The shift has happened. So it's, it's resetting and I think if you stop, you can hear and you can. So it, it's doing that genuine listening, not just... So it doesn't come with experience. Mm. We can just do that now. There's this... There's this um Sometimes there's this kind of energy of, well, we just need to do this now. We need to solve it now. What can we do? What can we, uh, what's, the, what's the action? Can you tell us the answer? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's, we just have to slow down, you know, and, and just really reset and stop and listen and then sort of go, okay, where are we at? But slow. We're not going to get anywhere in a hurry. I think uh, we're going to set up for the music next, so we might we might leave it there. But that's been a wonderful conversation for me. I hope it has for you too. And please, everyone, join me in thanking Rachel Kavanagh. Okay.